this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Um, so this morning we're, we're uh, continuing Acts, um, and we're at Acts 6, 1 to 7, um, and um, we're going to look at the, or John gave us the title, Multiplied Leadership Brings Increased Blessing, and we'll see whether we actually talk about that during this. Um, we're going to look at the, the uh, passage, uh, read it together, and then um, we're going to look at some bits of what's there. Oh, Oh, that's better. I feel like I can see now, which is great. Right, so it's Acts 6, 1 to 7, um, and I'm going to try and read that for you now. In, the, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid ha- their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at what this passage is teaching us. Yeah, Lord, thank you for this morning and how you've already been speaking. And I pray that the things that I've prepared would speak into people's hearts this morning and that we'd find this passage useful as we move ahead into the things that you're calling us to, in Jesus' name. So, despite the fact that we're working our way through Acts, I thought it might be helpful quickly to do a bit of context, um, So, especially as we've only done one section of Acts in, in this term. So it's still a bit trying to remember where we are, where we are and what we're doing. So um, we're looking at the early church, and this is a young community of Christians that have uh, experienced rapid growth, especially in Jerusalem. Um, remember a, a few passages earlier, the day of Pentecost, when over 3,000 people were added in uh, to a small number of apostles and disciples. And many of these Jews would have been Jews from other countries, uh, celebrating the Feast of Weeks, which is the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. So they'd, been, they'd have been from the, the Disipora, which would uh, the dispersed the scattered uh, Jews around the Gentile nations that are surrounding Israel, and they would have all come to, been coming together for this festival. Um, so many of them would have been from other countries, as I say. Um, and these new believers would have acted a bit like seeds that have been scattered back to those households and communities that they'd come in from, taking Christ with them. In the passage that we, read, that we looked at last week, um, which was only a few verses before, 
5,000 people were added and there'd been powerful preaching and healing ministries that the apostles were undertaking. Uh, and because of this, the authorities, the Jewish authorities were becoming worried about the impact that the apostles were having and they were hoping to um, stifle this new movement that was happening by arresting what, who they saw as the ringleaders, Peter and John. So it's into this sort of exciting and nervous atmosphere that we hear of the grumbling that's happening in the community. Um, and to be honest, it's probably mainly just to do with growth, um, and some people were feeling neglected. As we said, it's a young community, and the majority of the Christians have come from a Jewish background. We don't really see any Gentiles or uh, non-Jewish people involved in the church until Acts 9, um, at the conversion of Paul, who becomes the chief apostle to the Gentiles. And it's not really until Acts 9 and 10 that we see that the um, majority of the church up until that point is almost entirely Jewish. Um, Peter had been considered the, the lead apostle up until that moment. Um, so this is the first organization of the New Testament church. And the two important ministries that had emerged were quite obviously the ministry of the word and prayer, but also meeting people's needs and the poor amongst them. <laughs> And so this text is really looking at how um, they were trying to administer support to widows uh, and presumably others, probably orphans as well. And clearly this issue is something that was important, but according to some commentators, isn't necessarily essential to the proclamation of the gospel. However, I think what we should note is that this is still an important issue uh, in the church, and it's something that was almost an obligation for us in terms of what Christ led in caring for the vulnerable. Um, and we've got to remember that this discrimination did have the potential to split the church at this point if it wasn't resolved quickly and fairly. Um, the church, even in its infancy, had become a multicultural place, uh, despite the fact that most of the people had a Jewish faith before they'd become Christians. They were from different communities. They were Greek and Hebraic backgrounds. So the Hebraic Jews would have um, mainly spoken Aramaic, which was the local language. Um, and um, they would have been become Christians re very recently, and they would they, none of them would have had a Greek cultural background, i.e. they were pro most likely from Israel themselves. And this is the first time that any discord had been um, shown or told us we were told about, and the problem really arose because of growth, as I, uh, growth, as I just said. It appears that the Hebraic uh, Jewish widows were being looked after quite well. And to be honest, it's probably simply just that that was their custom in Jewish communities. The Old Testament required um, them to look after the poor and needy well. Um, but it was the Greek widows that were being overlooked. Um, and so we can see that there's this discrimination, a difference between these two different cultures. And the Greek-speaking Jews were often looked down upon by um, the uh, native-born Jews, because they were from a different background. There was a cultural discrimination that wouldn't have been unique to Jerusalem and isn't really unique now, um, had been brought into this church community. They weren't getting their fair share of the food that was being distributed. So we can sort of see that whilst the um, Greek and Hebraic Jews had both embraced the same faith, they'd still had those little jealousies that were, were going on in their communities. Um, and they'd brought that into the church as well. Both groups needed reminding, as it were, that we're all one in Christ, that there isn't a, a Jew or Greek, that there's neither Hebrew or Hellenist. We're all equals 
in Christ and we should all treat one another with respect. And it's easy for us to fall into a similar sort of trap as they did. We need to be careful not to allow our outside culture or the different rivalries that we can find in the world to overcome us or overcome the culture of the kingdom within the church. Now, there are good aspects to every culture, and those are things that we want to honour and respect and rejoice in, but also we don't necessarily want to bring some of those more negative aspects into the church that can bring harm and prevent unity amongst us. It's easy for those things to happen, but we need to be careful not to try not to allow them to. Um, there are great things about the city of Derby we live in. One of, the, one of the things that we're well known for is being a welcoming city. That there's many different cultures and languages, and they seem to kind of vaguely get on well together most of the time. Uh, it's generally a peaceful city. Um, and that's a great thing for us to, to rejoice in and to benefit from, and we see that amongst us. Uh, and um, we pray that that will continue to grow. Uh, the apostles here uh, saw that it was vital for the continuing growth and health of the church that all were served well and all were cared for well. And it's important for us to note that the apostles um, didn't feel like this uh, daily distribution was unworthy of them or their concern, beneath their concern. To be honest, they'd probably been attempting up until that point to manage it themselves. Um, but for some reason, whether it's intentional or not, some people were being missed out. It's interesting to note that they didn't have a long discussion about who was at fault or whether, the just, just, whether it was justified for people to be complaining. They didn't allow it to fester. They didn't allow it to uh, arguments or sides to be taken. They simply listened, took it on board, took it seriously and acted quickly to resolve it, to stop it. Um, the passage shows us that the apostles clearly felt it was a priority or they felt their priority was the ministry of word and prayer. And it's not that they valued it less, waiting on tables. They didn't value that less, but they simply called, they felt called to a different kind of calling, a different form of service, that of proclamation. If they felt that it was a lesser priority, they wouldn't have been so keen to solve it quickly, and they wouldn't have gathered everybody together to discuss it. They clearly saw that the care for the poor was a responsibility of the church. We need to remember that there wasn't really a welfare state at the time, uh, and widows and orphans probably wouldn't have had um, very many rights. There's some evidence, um, especially in the Gospel of John, that, uh, that people, that Jews that became Christ followers would probably have been thrown out of the synagogue, and therefore widows and orphans would have lost their protection and the provision of their community, and actually the church would have become that place of safety and provision for them. So clearly the apostles felt that it was vital for the continued growth of the church that all were served well and cared for well. But they didn't want that responsibility to prevent them from fulfilling what their primary calling was. It's really easy for us to think um, about one calling being more important than another or to look down on those that are called to something different maybe or unusual things. But we should be um, quick to honour one another's gifts and callings and help each other to fulfil them with the best that we can and to the best of their abilities. We'll all have different gifts and talents and different callings, but, and each one is valid and to be respected. Remember, later on in the New Testament, Paul uses the illustration of being like parts of the body, each part being valid and important. Sometimes to be faithful to the calling that God has given us, we may need to say no to good or important things so that we can stay on target on the things that God has called us to. 
It's not that the apostles um, felt that it was unimportant, but they wouldn't have been fulfilling what God had called them for, the will of God for their lives, if they'd allowed to be drawn into this distribution. So what we're saying is that both the ministry and proclamation and the ministry to the poor is important and vital for growth, but everybody needed to discern for themselves God's call on their life and to make sure that they're doing it. So how did they do, do this? We can agree that they saw it was a high value and that it could have been done better than it had been up until this point. So the apostles gathered the believers together and asked them for a solution, as it were. They gave them a framework of how to do it, but they wanted the believers to recommend people from amongst them who would be able to do this role. They wanted the community, the people, to um, look, at, look for those that already had authority and respect amongst them. It's likely that they would have already been well-known. They'd probably already have some sort of leadership. Maybe they had already been teaching in some way or leading prayers or something like that. But that they had more time than the apostles to take on other responsibilities. What we can see here again is that it demonstrates a high value of care for the most disadvantaged. It wasn't right simply to appoint people to get on and do the role. The community needed to be involved in the decision. I suppose you could ask the question, well, maybe it was because the apostles weren't sure who to appoint. But to be honest, it's more likely that they wanted the believers to have a say on something that really directly impacted them. So it wasn't felt that just anyone could do this. They needed to have uh, some qualifications to be able to do it, and they gave the believers three criteria. They should be people of good report. Their integrity was important. They must be honest and admirable in character. They were going to be placed in charge of significant sums of money and be responsible for the welfare of a large number of people. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would, needed to both empower them and guide them, and we need that as well. Um, and they would require the gifts and characteristics which come from being full of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they'd most likely make serious mistakes. They need to be full of wisdom. They're being entrusted with public money that needs to be used for the benefit of the many, not just the few. And they need to be good at management skills within that and to avoid making bad decisions. Again, the criteria that, that they gave shows that the apostles weren't fobbing off the complaints. They were treating them seriously. They, were expected, uh, they expected these people to be of high calibre and have great skill. They wanted the highest possible standards. It wasn't just a random selection of people, the first seven people who want to help stand forward sort of thing. It, it, there was more involved in that. Um, they didn't want people to be neglected. These are great qualities or characteristics of anybody that you, that for anywhere of service within the church or any community, really. Um, they were high values when caring for the poor. They wanted to make sure that it was done well. Um, we should be careful to follow this example when we're looking for people to help in various roles. We're not just trying to get the job done, but we're looking for the, or those that are willing to do it. We, we also need to look at how well people are qualified for those roles, whether they have the spiritual qualities that, that may be needed and the wisdom that may be needed going forward. It's interesting that this um, story is similar to the story of Moses and Jethro. So looking back at the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were um, in the desert and, and um, Jethro saw that Moses was worn out by 
administering all the problems of the people. Basically, there's this huge long queue of Israelites who had a problem and wanted to talk to Moses about it. And Jethro was looking at it thinking, oh, this is going to take ages. And he rebuked Moses and encouraged him to focus on the things he'd been called to. So what Moses had been called to, he was called to represent the people before God, to teach them and to guide them. But Moses had become bogged down in administration, in meeting people's needs, hearing people's issues and all the grumbles of the people. And Jethro saw that although these needs were important and shouldn't be neglected, it didn't actually physically need Moses in the room to make them happen, to listen to these, all these things. Jethro suggested that Moses appoint leaders to do these things, uh, who'd be empowered to deal with the smaller issues, um, but were able to bring to Moses the more difficult things so that um, uh, he could help with those things, the things that only needed his time to solve or his focus and authority to solve. So some translations uh, of the Bible mistakenly seem to suggest that it was the believers who appointed the, these, these men to this position of uh, authority. Um, but it's clear that although the people recommended these men, it was actually the apostles who appointed and commissioned them. The responsibility was given by laying on hands and commissioning directly by the apostles. The words used um, here mean that, that we translate as wait on also can be translated as minister or servant or deacon. The laying on of hands has various different connotations in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it was used to confer a blessing. It was used to transfer guilt from sinner to sacrifice in Leviticus and also to commission people for a new responsibility. In the New Testament, we see it being observed in healing when uh, people are being prayed for. Um, or to command a blessing, but also um, when people are being ordained or commissioned and uh, in the imparting of spiritual gifts, people are, all of these situations, uh, laying on of hands happens. And it indicates the approval or the empowerment to, to take on the task they've been chosen for. And also in this situation, the apostolic authority to carry these duties out. Now, some have argued that these people were, were probably been appointed from the 70 disciples who are mentioned earlier in the New Testament that Jesus sent out um, to, to spread the gospel and preach the word and to bring healing to people. But that seems unlikely because those people had already been sent out. They'd been sort of scattered acro across the region. Uh, and you could argue that they were doing the same thing that the apostles were trying to, to do as well. And therefore, why would you call them back to do... Um, this uh, new task that had been uh, found to be important as well. Um, presumably, there were other people in the community that had authority, wisdom, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit that weren't already doing something um, and had the capacity to take on these roles. It seems likely that all of these men were from a Grecian or Hellenistic background. Remember, those are the people that were, had brought the grumbling in the first place. Those were the people that were being overlooked. Um, we think that because they, they all seem to have Greek names. Um, so it seems apparent that the people that were chosen were from the community that had made the complaint in the first place. So it seems that really wisely the apostles felt that the most likely way of silencing the critics and solving the problem was to raise up leaders directly from the community that had been affected in the first place, uh, with the assumption, presumably, that they wouldn't forget their own people. Um, and actually... 
bringing it forward to, to now, we've learned that that's often the best way of serving the poor or disenfranchised. Um, that actually the best way to serve a community well is to raise up leaders from within them rather than parachuting people in who don't have any context in the local community. The impact of local people serving local situations should never be underestimated. You can bring a team in from elsewhere, but actually their first priority should really be raising up leaders from that community. And they should be natural leaders that have already got some sort of role um, and have those similar qualities that the apostles were looking for. And actually that's going to take time and a lot of hard work, but actually it's vital for long-term growth or sustainability. You could argue that if sustainability isn't the goal, then is the work kingdom-centred or man-centred? If, you know, if you're not wanting to build something that will last, why are you doing it? Is it something that has eternal consequences or does it just look good on the outside but is something that will disappear very quickly if you're not there? Um, question being, are you building something for its longevity? Are you planning to be replaced? Which is always something that's difficult to think about. But actually, if you're wanting something to last beyond you, then you need to be thinking about that before you're not there. Um, are you crucial to what, what's happening or will it fall flat when you're not there? It's important to, to know the difference and to know how to plan for those things. We should be careful as a church uh, to raise up leaders that can serve in all areas and are gifted in similar ways, not just using worldly wisdom or, or the most obvious people sometimes, but look for those who have the anointing of God as well. And it may not, that may not always be the same people. It may not be the most obvious people. Recently, we've been through a period of expansion as a church. We've appointed um, some more elders. And the purpose of that is to prepare for future growth and more capacity. And actually, it could be our temptation to take a break now and relax and think, yeah, we did that, woo. Um, but actually, this passage teaches us that continued growth means that we need to continue to grow leadership in all areas. It's not just leaders that can teach and preach, but it's those who can serve and equip others and those that can serve the community around us as well. We need to be careful not to think of leadership in one format or one sort of person, as it were. It's a really great example of how we appoint leaders to responsibility, how we allow growth and expansion to happen. If we want the many and varied ministries of our church to grow, if we want to have more than a few different ministries, then we need to be able to raise up people who can carry responsibility and who have that wisdom and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do those roles. These are really important requirements for people serving in all areas and all ages, the obedience to the Holy Spirit, action guided by wisdom, backed up by good character. These are things that we can look for in anybody in any sort of leadership. Another way we can tell that the apostles didn't just choose the first seven people that stepped up is that they went on to great exploits later. Stephen preaches the gospel before the Sanhedrin and becomes the first recorded martyr. Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria and explains Isaiah to the Ethiopian eunuch and leads, Jesus, uh, leads him to Jesus and baptizes him. It's easy to overlook verse 5 in this passage and it says this pleased the whole group. It's really vital that the outcome we reach in these um, pleases people. 
Everyone was glad with the proposal. Um, they knew that it would help and rectify the error. Neither side were committed to winning an argument or defending their actions. They were keen to resolve it and do the right thing. It's helpful to remember in the most well-ordered church that things which cause grumbling and upset um, may seem may leave people feeling left out or forgotten. A simple bit of misadministration or a small grievance can turn into something much bigger. We need to be careful to love and respect one another and to speak out the things that are difficult um, with respect for one another. If we're asking for growth, then we need to ask God also for wisdom because we will find these things happening amongst us. We all need to be careful not to make mountains out of molehills, um, but to take others' complaints seriously and to help one another feel at home, to feel loved, to feel cared for. We shouldn't be keen to win arguments uh, that breaks up unity. We have a higher calling to love one another, to prefer one another's needs over our own, to consider each other's needs of more importance than our own. Within that, we need to replicate Christ. He showed us a love for one another that's sacrificial, an agape kind of love that's more about giving than receiving. When we find conflict amongst us, and we will, we should be careful to remind each other of God's love and his calling for us to be a community that gives to one another, and that's giving out of sacrifice as well. When, these are, when this becomes our focus, it's easier to resolve conflicts. This situation wasn't mentioned again in Acts, so hopefully we can presume that it was resolved we, presumably it would have been mentioned again had it not been. It says the word of God increased. The apostles were able to focus more effectively on teaching and preaching, and as they did, the gospel spread further. Earlier, gospel writers suggested that Jesus himself had found Jerusalem a difficult place to spread the message, but many were coming to faith. It's not just ordinary Jews here, but many priests were also coming to faith, it says at the end of this passage. We might be forgiven for assuming that those are the least likely group of people in the area that would have uh, come to faith. They were strongly opposed to the gospel in just the previous chapter. But it seems many of them had made a commitment as the passage closes. There's an immediate lesson we can take from this passage. It is that if preachers and evangelists are released to do the job that only they can do, then blessing and growth will and should be expected. It's not that other roles are less important. It's just as vital to have people of high calibre and conviction in every area to serve our community in the many and varied uh, ministries that we want to see happen. But as we do release each person to the ministry we're called to, we should expect to see growth. So we've said that the apostles wanted to ensure that the gospel continued to go forth but they also wanted to ensure that those that needed to be cared for were cared for well, that they weren't overlooked, but there were the right proportions of resources given to each person. The most likely reason for this issue happening in the first place was simply because of growth. Growth in the church in terms of its size, but also in the growth in the, those that needed support, and also growth in the amount of money that they had to give to others. It had become more than the apostles could manage or cope with on their own. They needed support and help of others to be able to give focus to prayer and preaching. 
They wanted it to remain a priority for the church going forward, but they also wanted to ensure that they didn't forget about prayer and ministry of the word. I wonder if we see here the beginnings of the Jerusalem church getting to grips with serving the poor. Do we find here the beginning of a thread which culminates in the gathering we see in Galatians where Paul is appointed an apostle to the Gentiles? They're the only thing that the Jerusalem church, Peter and the other apostles, want to ensure Paul remembers is the poor and the needy amongst them. Paul says it was the very thing he was eager to do. But is this the lesson that the Jerusalem church had to learn so that they could say those very things to him? Is this where their heart for the poor had grown from, to that point in Galatians where they could say those things, don't forget the poor? Is it because they'd realised that it could train wreck any future church growth if the poor had been, would be forgotten about? Something to think about. How can we apply this to our daily lives? I'm trying to land this now. When things need a solution, we should try and deal with things head on, not to pick sides. We, should try, we shouldn't try to work out who's at fault or to apportion blame to people, but swiftly and quickly try and respond and find people who can do that, that work and resolve the issues. When we're looking for leaders and uh, those to take on positions of authority, we should look for those with good leadership qualities as well as the qualifications or possibly education to do the job. We should look for those that have the support of our community or the communities or areas we're working in, not just those who have the eyes and ears of key leaders. It's easy to grumble about problems. It can sometimes be easier to complain than to do something about it. And often when we're grumbling, it's usually little things that we don't really, maybe don't really care about as much as things that are important or vital or central. Often it's the little things that cause a problem. Um, and actually sometimes what we are we could ask ourselves the question, what is what we're grumbling about? If it changes, would it actually make any difference to the way we're feeling? Is our grumbling valid or are we making something bigger than it actually is? Is it just something that is about comfort, not about central doctrine or something that's central to who we are? Does it lack resources or is it just lacking people? And if so, can we solve the, the thing that we're grumbling about ourselves? Often if we've noticed something, then that means that God's probably given us keys to change it or at least unlock the situation. And if we're not willing to stand up and be part of the solution, should we really be grumbling about it in the first place? Sometimes we could be battling with, a sort of, as it were, a grumbling spirit where we're just like grumbling about things because it makes us not feel quite so bad about things. Maybe we're facing others that are grumbling at work or college or university. Maybe you've not got to university yet and haven't hit that one yet. But sometimes it's just the way people release pressure. And it's not really that they're particularly upset about things, it's just that it lets off a bit of steam. Um, and often, more often than not, it will just reflect our state of mind at the time or the amount of sleep or um, personal situations we're going, th going through and actually it just lets a bit of steam off. 
but sometimes it can be a sign of something more important that needs resolution and we need to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom in knowing what the difference is, how to deal with it when these things happen. The apostles showed great wisdom in resolving the situation they had faced and you can ask God to give you the same wisdom in the situation you're facing. It's easy to become led by grumbling and negative emotions and they can spread throughout a workforce or a community quickly than we, more quickly than we expect, even if the fears or issues that are being grumbled about aren't really that important. It can cause people to feel disconnected um, or forgotten. So it's important to take these things uh, seriously in the workplace. They can bring everybody down. I've, um, in my previous job, there was lots of grumbling going on. Some of it was valid and other bits was just because people were frustrated. Um, and it actually brought the whole atmosphere in the office down. And we need to be careful to try and face that in different ways. So I thought we could pray for some of these things if people are battling with maybe just grumbling about different things that you just need uh, some prayer to help you break through that. Um, or maybe you're surrounded by people that are just negative all the time and you just need some more of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, some others around you that, are, that can pray for you. Um, pray for wisdom in knowing how to deal with that situation if you're in a position of authority and need to face people that are just grumbling all the time, then um, we'd love to pray for you in how you do that. Um, the other thing is that obviously we're talking about commissioning and if you feel that God's called you to something and you want to be prayed for about what you feel called to in the future, then we'd love to do that. Uh, maybe you see you have a passion for an area of church life that you've not seen anyone step up into yet. Uh, we'd love to pray for you about that and help you um, to explore what God might be saying to us or to you. Um, so um, the other thing that we could pray for is um, what Kat shared earlier about storms and challenges. If you're going through a challenge at the moment and you need some people to pray with you, then we'd love to do that as well. So um, I think the band are going to come and help us to do that. And uh, we'd love to pray. If you would like to pray for any of those things or something entirely different, then um, we'd love to help with that this morning. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.